1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It's pretend, okay? What
0: fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Your husband
1: is dead, Mireille. With Margaret Abel's and Amy Wilson. Norma Nursher. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Oregon. Oregon? Oregon. Origami?
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is
1: Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week we're talking about imaginative kids. I love this topic. This is a great idea suggested by Chris in Cortland Manor.
0: Can I just say having an imaginative kid that I suggested the title Imaginative Kids, if you must? Right. If you must have one. It's not always a picnic, these imaginative kids.
1: This is like, I did so much research on this. I love, this was such an interesting idea and we love getting topics from our listeners. So keep sending them. You can send them to questions at com, like Chris did. So Chris says, our five-year-old has a huge imagination and has for years, I'm wondering if it's too big. One example, she was catching lightning bugs and started telling me each of their names and she seems to genuinely believe the stories. The problem is that this year when she was in kindergarten, she started telling her classmates about leprechauns and zombies who can sneak into homes. Just FYI, the leprechauns can sneak in through the radiators, apparently, and zombies. Guys, come on. This is essential. Don't
0: tell, <laughs> don't ever tell us this podcast didn't give you essential information.
1: Kids, if you're listening with mom, this is just pretend. She says the leprechauns can sneak in through radiators and zombies like Santa, apparently, which I didn't know. Hmm, that is surprising for the undead, I would say. I am surprised that they are still on the good list. Of of course, she says, that's how they get in, like Mm. Santa does. So Chris knows a lot about leprechauns and zombies, but what she wants to know from us is how much imagination and creativity is healthy, and does it ever reach a point where you need to sort of shut it down?
0: So Amy, this rarely, rarely happens, but I will give you a little behind the scenes glimpse. Amy was researching this topic and kept texting me to be like, <laughs> OMG, there's so much interesting stuff on this topic. And I know a few things about this topic because I have done some Googling because I have somewhat of the same problem. Uh huh. And so I know a couple of things about this topic, and I think there's a lot of weird and interesting stuff that we're going to discuss today.
1: Yes. All right. So let's talk about how kids imagine, like how this sort of comes out. I mean they might be doing it the whole time and they're just not telling us cuz they're babies okay but you can see it psychologists sort of say like around 2 when they start making their toys talk to each other when they start to animate their toy or their stuffed animal and make it like you go over here no i don't want to that that's that's the um, that's the imagination sort of flowering for the first time okay and then when they're like 3 to 6 years old that's when they're acting out no we're pirates now we're this we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how the way they play together is so convoluted and confusing to adults, and it does not follow adult rules at all, because right. everything can be true, right? And These yet zombies has, and like, pirates.
0: extremely clear strictures for themselves. Yes. Yes.
1: And that's why it's better to just let it let it happen. Right. And then... They're like,
0: no, mom, that's not how the zombie wants yeah. his mac and cheese. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then and then by the time they're six to nine, then they start imagining worlds. And that to me, that's the sort of peak Pokemon memorizing, right? Or uh my kid used to play with something called Moshi Monsters. Mashi Twilight was one of our sponsors, but Moshi Monsters, which still exists, is like a it's kind of like a Sims for little kids, and you you make your monster's room and you feed it and you do this, and he got like way into the land of Mashi Monsters being a real thing and crying when we go away on vacation that his monster was going to die. And, and my right. sister was like logging in and feeding the monster for him. <laughs> right. Really went down that rabbit hole. And how, wait, what age is that? He was in first and second grade at the time. Okay. And then, you know, and then beyond, then like school starts to get more demanding peers start to think maybe it's a little bit weird if you want to talk about Mashi Monsters too much or Pokemon. Right. And, and, you know, the world sort of says, okay, enough of that. Yes. And most kids sort of, it quiets and, and for some kids it doesn't. So we'll talk about that. But that's the sort of like how this tends to roll out. Yes, I'll be interested in that second yeah. <laughs> part of that conversation. Kids for whom it does not quiet. But imagination is like, that kid's imagine is a good thing. Psychologists yes. seem to think that of I mean it's it's something all kids do and that it's it's a good thing. It's essentially positive. There's a guy named Dr. Paul Harris who wrote a book called The Work of the Imagination. Okay. And his sort of life's work is about how imagination for kids is work, is making sense of the world. It's part of their cognitive structuring, I guess. I mean, not having done any research on this
0: Really, at all in preparation for this episode, I would say there is a clear, clear developmental role that is played by imagination. I mean, that seems extremely clear from having dealt with children.
1: Did you ever have an imaginary friend when you were little? I did. I really
0: wanted, (laughs) I feel like I was always like a comically oriented person in (laughs) that I feel like I had an imaginary imaginary friend. Like I thought imaginary friends seemed really cool. And so I invented one and I talked a lot about her, but I did not actually she did not really spring from my imagination. Yeah, you suppose I was like an observer of the idea of an imaginary friend and therefore in order to be on stage I talked a lot about my imaginary friend.
1: You will probably not be surprised to hear I had two imaginary friends. Do you know their names? Yes. Oh, I had a check with I had a check with Nancy Wilson about this. I remembered one, but not I always remember Kathy and I forget Susie. I don't know why. Susie's just Oh, poor Susie. Yeah. Just left to the to the graveyard of childhood memories. <laughs> so Kathy and Susie, they were my imaginary friends, and the story goes that when I was about two and a half, I told my parents that they were coming over for dinner that evening. And, okay, and they were like, okay, and they were you know loving and indulgent parents. So, You're how old? Two and a half. Oh wow! And my dad was like, okay, I guess we better go get them. And I was like, okay, let's go. So he you know he puts me in the car and we're driving around uh, our town in New Jersey at the time. And he said, I was like, make a left. I think it's up there. Okay, go over there. And he let me sort of say which way to go for about, you know, 20 minutes and we drove around our neighborhood and then finally I was like, oh wait a minute, I think they're getting a ride to our house and we went back to the house and they were there for dinner. Um
0: <laughs> okay. First of all, hats off to Jim Wilson. Yeah. Like what a move. They went with like it. wow, he really indulged yes. this. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy
1: that. And then they were already there. And did you talk to them during dinner and stuff? you know, we really, I really should have gotten Nancy on the phone for this one. Um, I don't think I talked to them. I just, was more like they're here now, like just, just FYI. They're with us. And they were, they were my companions.
0: I have a story of this again. I was, I don't think I really was an imaginative kid and now I'm a writer and I come up with stuff. And, but, but it, it's interesting. I don't think of myself as a super imaginative person. Like, I'm not a daydreamer. Like that's not my thing. But at some point I was talking to my mom who I'm sure was in her seventies at the time. And I was asking her for her computer password. And I was like helping her, you know, of course, like figure out something on the computer as one does. And I said, well, what's your computer password? And she's like, it's Norma Nersher. And I was like, I don't understand that word you're saying. She's like, Norma Nersher. I was like, what? Norma Nersher. And she's like, I'm like, what does that even mean? She's like, oh, it's my imaginary friend's name from when she was two years old. Norma Nurture. <laughs> Norma Nurser was her librarian friend. <laughs> and that was my mom's imaginary friend from the 1930s, Norma Nurser. Wow. And she just announced her name in her 70s as if like... Oh, it's Norma, Norma Nersher.
1: and like your world was like. My mother was a child with an imaginary friend. Did you like? Did you telescope
0: out? And that just this person was still so alive to her that she said her name as if
1: like it was a completely That's normal so thing to say out loud. It was stinking adorable. Do your kids read the Charlie and Lola books or watch the television show? Lola hasn't never imaginary heard of friend. it. It's a it's a British TV show. Adorable. Very very. Um... We only support American okay, TV sorry. shows in this house,
0: Amy. <laughs> Shop American.
1: (laughs) Shop American. I love Charlie and Lola. And she's, you know, it's like big sister, little sister. And she's super imaginative Lola. And she has an imaginary friend named Soren Lawrenson. So I think it's, there must be some rhyming thing. Norma Nersha, Sorma Lawrenson. Soren Lawrenson. And he's, the way that that the cartoonist draws Soren, he's invisible. Like he's, it looks like Wonder Woman's invisible plane. Like you can see him, but he, he looks like he's transparent. Oh, that's awesome. And he always does. Like, she didn't want to unwrap Charlie's birthday present before he even got to open it. But see, see Soren Lawrenson did it, really. It's it's all that kind of stuff. Oh. Well,
0: there, speaking of books, our favorite books this year are called Dory Phantasmagory. Do you know those books? Uh, I've heard of them, yeah. I mean, they are genuinely LOL. Like, I can't think of another book that I have read with my daughter where we're just dying laughing the whole time. And she has two, she's like the annoying younger sister to two older to a brother and a sister. And she, it's all about this imaginary life, but it's kind of dark and weird. And she's, it's like the, all her imaginary friends are kind of scary, but they're hilariously scary. Like one of them is like called Mrs. Gobblegracker, and she's got like sharp teeth, like needles and she eats children. <laughs> But she's just like, by the end, she's like, Dory's so annoying that she just ends up like driving them away because they can't stand her. It's so funny. Dory Phantasmagory.
1: They're amazing stories. All right. Check them out. Well, here's what I want to say about imaginary friends that I found in this research that I thought was fascinating. So there's a um, psychologist named Dr. Marjorie Taylor. She's a psychologist at the University of Oregon, and she has made it her life's work to study- At the University of where? Oregon? Oregon? Oregon, origami. <laughs> Oregon. I would say Oregon. Oregon. She has been studying kids and their imaginary companions. That's her thing. Like she studied specifically this for
0: there's, decades. As my grandma Conroy used to say, there's a lid for every pot. There's a study for every professor. Studying imaginary friends.
1: What a world. Uh, this is a rabbit hole I could go down. So anyway, she says that about 65% of kids under seven, report having had one. And this is if you include, you know, my stuffed animal's name is Barry and he would like more juice. She said if it's literally like this invisible person standing next to me is here and it's Mrs. Gobbledygook, that's about 35% of kids. Okay. And people always go to her, concerned parents, saying like, I think this is a little too real. I think I worry about this. Right. They're way down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. And she is quite certain that even kids who spend a great deal of time investing and playing with these imaginary friends, talking about them, driving around the neighborhood to get them for dinner, even even the kids who are- <laughs> She were, doesn't say that's a bridge too far, no, driving no. around the neighborhood. She, she's like still fine. She would say that even that two and a half year old me knew that they're not real. And the reason she knows, this is the part that I love, is that because she, she interviews these little children and she asks them, all these questions about their imaginary friends for her research or researchers do as well. And something about the adult with the clipboard always sooner or later, the kid will self-disclose like the the adults asking them a lot of questions about Soren Lawrenson and writing down all the answers. And invariably this child will say, you know, this isn't real, right? You know, I just made him up. Like they, (laughs) They sort of get a little weirded out that the adult is taking it. Yeah. They're weirded out.
0: They're they're like, You're taking this a little too seriously. You have a clipboard out. Right. You're writing down everything I'm saying. Right. I like, dude, relax. I'm I'm just spitballing here. Yes.
1: I like exactly, I love this notion that the three year old's like, uh it's pretend, okay? You you seem a little yeah. too invested in this yeah. lady from University of Oregon. Yeah. And and that is I'm kind of giving the ending away here, I guess, but I I looked into Because Chris was asking and I was interested, like, is there a downside to imaginations and over-imaginations? And the truth is that psychologists used to think, yes, used to think like, okay, that's enough of this. Grow up now. You're a big girl now. And now they say, absolutely not. There's no downside to this because even the kids who are down the rabbit hole of this is my land understand. They understand in some sense that it's not real.
0: That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I think there is a, a an understandable reason why we think it's a downside because it seems kind of isolating. It seems like you're in your own world. Yeah. And we kind of want you to be in the world of the people. Yeah. And the small children that are around yeah. you. And sometimes the imagination is shared. Like my little kid is somebody who's very, I mean, she's got the whole playground organized around searching for fairy dust. This is her obsession right now, is finding the magic wishing stone (laughs) that the fairies have.
1: Did she make that up, the magic wishing? Did she read about that in a book or is that a- Oh, no, I think she's made it up. Wow. Wow.
0: But there's a tree at their school. They have like a kind of a blacktop playground, but there's one tree and that's where the fairies live. And she's got like 19 other children invested in how they are going to trap the fairy out of the tree to get the magic wishing stone. And then every day, whenever we talk about problems, she's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, but when we get the magic wishing stone, her (laughs) her brother's very insistent we get a dog. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know how that's going to go for him not getting a dog and she's like it's fine we're gonna get the magic wishing stone and we can have a dog on the cloud that we ride around on is the stone in the tree the fairy's gonna give it to her when she captures the fairy
1: the fairy's in the tree process the fairy knows where the magic wishing stone is located at some remote location
0: or or just carries it around all the time that part's <laughs> not, not exactly <laughs> we <clear>. don't know <laughs> oddly having spoken about this to her for at least 46 hours i'm still not a hundred percent clear on the details i, I zone out a bit
1: and you shouldn't, and she's not concerned, so why should you be, you know, don't, don't nail it down, Mom. It's imagination. I
0: have another slight downside of imagination, and I want to talk about it right after this.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to Lumen.me and use FRESH to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, Lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode.
0: Okay, so you have told us that all the doctors at the University of Your Imaginary State of Oregon Do not feel (laughs) concerned about imagination.
1: No, it's a good thing. But you're here to say, except when? Well,
0: I think it can be problematic in the early years of elementary school that it gets in the way of learning for some kids I actually know. Mm -hmm. That like, they're trying to teach them math and they're like, but my pencil is speaking to me about the magical land where unicorns fly.
1: Yeah. 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 There's sort of spaces and places, as you would say. And and right. I guess if your kid kind of can't leave that on the play deck, then there might be a little bit of a play deck. Is that a New York City thing? Playground, you guys would call it. They yeah. call it a play deck because it's on the roof of the building. Yeah. Like no, City. that's
0: only New York City. <laughs> You're like on the play slab. <laughs> the <Exactly>. joy slab. <laughs> The no. black top, blacktop, the cracked blacktop my children play on. Uh, no, no. That, your, your kids are like, we have no imagination because we only have a play slab.
1: But let's talk about like, I want to get back to this sort of isolation thing you suggested because I guess it could be a problem in the classroom. But the the imaginative kid from fiction that springs to mind for me is Harriet the Spy. Did you read Harriet yes. the Spy? I mean, my favorite. I love this book so much. Is Harriet just- the Spy an oldie locks alert? Back in my day. Uh, well, they made a movie. You know what? Even the movie's an old deluxe yeah, alert. Yeah, I think yeah, it Head is. Harriet the Spy's an old deluxe alert. And if you haven't read it, read it. I mean, read it and then your kids should read it. This book, I mean, I love this book so much. Harriet is just a girl who's out of pace with her, I think, fifth grade companions. But it was written in, I think, the 70s. So fifth grade feels a little younger then. She's 11 or 12. And the book starts with her in the backyard of her brownstone. She lives in New York City with her friend Scout. I think his name is. And they're playing town. And she's like, this is town. This is how you play. And he's sort of like, what are you talking about? She's like, this stick is the barber. And, you know, he has a drinking problem. And over here are the, is, you know, the, this is the church, but nobody goes there. And this is this. And she's explaining to her friend how all these like dirt and sticks and rocks is town. And let's play town as I do every day. And her friend is sort of like, "Uh, I don't really get this. And it's sort of. It's sort of a metaphor for what the whole book is going to be about, that her friends are growing up and she doesn't want to grow up. She wants to stay in this, you know, hyper creative place that she's in. And I do think that can happen as kids get older. Most kids stop doing this and some kids don't. Should we talk about the kids who kind of keep going with the with the creative stuff? So Joshua Krish wrote an article for Fatherly about why some kids are really, really imaginative. I'll put it up on our show page at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com and you can also swipe or tap and whatever you're using to listen and we'll put up all the links to what we're talking about. Anyway, he says that researchers say that only about 10% of kids go into complex world building activities. They call it world play. Mm. And this is Harriet the spy playing town. Michelle Root Bernstein. So she does a deep dive on kids who are kind of, you know, older and still still doing this after all this time. I mean, I'm just still having the perspective that like, wow, there's a lot of people out there studying this. I'm impressed. Studying imagination. Yeah, exactly. So she says world play is the repeated evocation of a fully realized imaginary place, usually inhabited by imaginary beings. That's um, my daughter with the fairies yeah. in the marriage of wishing yeah. Stone. And the difference between worldplay play and make-believe, this is what Krish explains in this fatherly article, is scale. Like make-believe would be like if you just played town for a day and world play is when this is what you want to play every day. That's the fairy tree. Yeah, the fairy tree. And kids, as they get a little older, the kids who are really into world play will start with maps and languages mm. and, you know, sort of backstories for the characters. Um, mm-hmm. My m- One of my kids... Our dog's name is Marshmallow, and he drew this map. Oh, Amy, how dare you? We all know Marshy.
2: <laughs> everybody knows Please.
1: that. Please. And he wrote, he he made a map, like a world map of Marshmallowlandia, and everything was like, you know, islands and this. It was all named after her. Mm. And he drew a whole, like, geographic landscape that he still has up on his bulletin board. And that was, I mean, he he's very creative, so that's where he went one day. I'm glad we're not talking about. Landia all the time right. but but some kids do do this so so it, so but does this roll into like dungeons and dragons and that kind of stuff i think it does or sims or part of the idea that i think we need to sort of explore is this idea that like you're, you're imaginative when you're a kid and then it needs to stop at some point right like there are some people who are they're really into these imagination things as grown-ups and we also, I mean, we use our imaginations all the time. Like, we see a rainbow in the sky, and we're like, oh, a rainbow. And we we imbue it with meaning that it doesn't really have, right? We we're, we're, we still engage in these sometimes superstitions, sometimes religions, fanciful. Like, we, we still do things that way.
0: Right. And I, I think it's easy to demonize the side of the equation that is, like, the person trying to stop imaginativeness. But I sometimes find myself on that side of it, which is, like, we don't want to talk about your magic wishing stone and the cloud that it's going to take us to 24 hours a day. It's not interesting to everybody else. So like, yes, you can have imagination, but as part of this family, you cannot dominate the conversation with this. My other kid obsessed with Marvel movies and his brother and he, I have had to pass a rule at the dining room table that like, we are not going to talk about Marvel movies and what happened in them and the Marvel universe. Every night at the dinner table because it is not interesting to the rest of us. Like yeah. we don't really want you to get lost in that world. We still want you to participate in our world.
1: You know? I think I think that's I think that's right. The idea that kids have to learn that it's there are places for it and places not for it. And that can be painful. Like like Harriet the Spy. She she has a painful journey in that book to realize that the way she wants to do things is not how the world works. Um, right.
0: And I mean I think it's like when you look at like lore and legend, there's like the Narcissus in the Water and um, the the mirror in Harry Potter that you get lost looking into. Like, we do have this idea that, like, you don't want to go down literal Alice in Wonderland. Like, you don't actually want to spend your life down a
1: rabbit hole, you know? Except that J.K. Rowling, if you want to be a, a hyper, hyper creative adult, uh, I, I guess I'm, just, I'm coming at it the wrong way. You can't make your kid into... Somebody who will be a hyper creative adult by like making them do this. You either have this right. sort of thing. You part have it you or you don't. you don't. Absolutely. But the kids who do have this grow up to be hyper creative. Like there are, you know, many examples. The Bronte sisters, I guess, used to sit around and pretend that there was a town or Oliver Sacks or Jack Kerouac. There are a lot of examples of these people being sort of living in their mind and creating these worlds, and then they grew up to be hyper-creative. i got a study for you. All right, study me, because I feel study. like we're, we're a little, we're at a, a lost crossroads here. <laughs> so, in 2006, this is a study that Michelle Rupernstein Bernstein did. She's the one who specifically researches the creation of imaginary worlds. So, she studied MacArthur Fellows versus okay. typical undergraduates.
0: MacArthur Fellows is like people who get awards for being super creative.
1: Yeah, they get the MacArthur Genius Grant. I should have looked up exactly what this is, but they give out maybe well, 2000 picture, a like, year. Just picture like Lin-Manuel Miranda got one, Lin-Manuel right? manuel Miranda like, got a... Famous um, writers MacArthur get them. Grant. It's but for so people who are super creative. It's for people who are super creative, but not necessarily in the arts. I mean, some are in the arts mm-hmm. and some are like entomologists in the Amazonian rainforest. You right. can be a scientist. You could be Elon Musk. I don't know. Like you're, you've... You're super creative in some way. Okay. And MacArthur Fellowship recipients were like 25 times more likely to have been like this as a kid than mm. the typical undergraduate at this at this college to have said, oh, yeah, I totally did this world play. I made maps for my fairy world. Um, so... Right. Like they said, it doesn't. you, can't, you um, can't make it happen, but there right. are good things. Right.
0: that So it's an indicator, but it's not a cause. Like you, you're, it, that, that study does not say talk to your kids more about their fairy world.
1: Right. And they also said, and she's careful to say that world play does not invariably lead to your kid being a genius as an adult. Right. But it does indicate a flowering of their imagination that we don't have to worry about pushing back against, except to the extent that it's... <laughs> they want to talk about, I think in in that discomfort of like your friends, like, why are you, why are you talking only about the magic wishing stone? like we've that was fifth grade. Now we're talking about who likes who? And
0: well, that is something that I argue vociferously for, which is letting your kid be a little bit nerdier and letting your kid not have a million friends in middle school is fine because I think some of this, and I fight this instinct a little bit myself sometimes, which is like, you know, when my kids are hurt and they're like, people call me weird and like, uh, you know, I don't like it. And like someone called me a weirdo because I was talking about uh, whatever my imaginary obsession was at the playground instead of the cool stuff that other kids were talking about. I try to encourage the like, that's OK. It's OK to be weird. I mean, I was a kid who believed in things that perhaps other kids had given up on into to very late grades, you know, and it didn't exactly make me a winner in the game of middle school life. Let's just (laughs) say that. And I look back and I'm like, that's great. Like being on the cutting edge is not necessarily where you want to be in middle school. Like the smartest, hippest, most jaded kid in middle school. Like that's the kid who thrives socially often in middle school um especially if you're not an athletic kid like athletic kids tend to thrive but like I don't have an athlete in the house so like that's out and so letting your kids be a little bit you know behind the curve in terms of being hip and popular giving up their imaginations I would encourage you to well, you, have them do that it's interesting
1: you were just saying that you you uh you don't have to be on the cutting edge in middle school, and the truth is, you are on the cutting edge in middle school, right? Like Harriet the Spy is a total badass, but and the rest of her friends are like, "Quit acting weird, start acting normal." It's like the sort of uh, tamping down of what makes right. You but that's your
0: adult perspective, which brilliant. I always
1: have a problem with because when my kid's
0: like crying and being like, "Everyone thinks I'm weird," I'm like, "Being weird is the best." But he does not have that perspective, right. and it's very important for me to remember that he will not have that perspective as a fourth grader when he's like, Oh my God, I drew this crazy dragon and people are like, dragons are lame. We're into something else now. Like that experience is genuinely difficult for him. And I can't be like, you're actually the coolest kid ever. Like he doesn't see it that way.
1: There's one other sort of slight downside to watch out for in kids who have highly developed imaginations. This was a correlation I had not really considered. Dr. Robin Alter She studies um, kids with anxiety, Mm. and she has discovered that, she says, the children who come to see me for anxiety all typically share one common characteristic. These are children gifted with highly active and developed imaginations. Yeah. It's a chicken and egg thing for sure, right? Like, they have their imaginative because they're anxious and they're considering possibilities all the time. Right. But they're anxious because they can imagine all, all, all of the different... If you think leprechauns are in the radiator, then maybe (laughs) that makes you more anxious. Yeah. I don't know. But I had never thought about that connection before, and yet it totally makes sense.
0: Well, I think there's a connection, too, between intelligence and imagination, and there's a connection between intelligence and anxiety, because you you've thought of the possibilities while everyone else is like do to do i'm a third grade what you're like guys guys listen to me climate change or whatever like you you're kind of seeing a bigger picture than some of the other kids and naturally your anxiety is, is more heightened all right i have some i have another insight on this after the break amy you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is
1: Okay, so we have with us today uh, Nancy Wilson, my mom. Uh, We're going to get to the bottom of my imaginary friends and what they were all about. Mom, tell me what you remember about Kathy and Susie. I believe you were, say, two and a
3: half to three and a half and you just suddenly started talking about these friends and how it would be is you would tell us, like, oh, I went to the store with Kathy and Susie or Kathy and Susie came over. It would be your way of telling us a story of something that you had done or wished you had done, I guess, uh, and they were your constant companions.
1: And they were—it was always a, a, a pair. They were always together. Always, yes. As as we recall, you always mentioned the two names together. Yep. Was one of them a troublemaker? Did they have personalities, or were they just sort of were they like just there for me? I
3: couldn't remember, and Dad couldn't either. Any, you know, you're describing them as as mischievous. It was just like they were your friends. They were the people that you did things
1: with. <laughs> did I have friends or was it was it Kathy and Susie? You
3: were our oldest child. You were the oldest cousin. Uh, you have many cousins, but you were the first. And even among our friends, you were the first child. And at the time that you started this, we were living in New Jersey. We really weren't around family uh, except on weekends. But anyway, I think that you really kind of invented them just to be your companions. You had a little brother by that point, but he wasn't yet able to really communicate with you.
1: He was not very useful to me. And where did Kathy and Susie, where did the names come from? Where did I pull those out of? You know, we've never been able to figure that out.
3: (laughs) I don't know whether it was maybe a story that we read to you or something like that, or you were an avid Sesame Street fan, so maybe it was children that you saw on Sesame Street. We've never really been able to figure that out. And I guess because you were so young, you weren't really able to describe them to us. We we did talk to you about them, but you never really were able to uh, give us a good description <laughs> other than they were your friends.
1: <laughs> Do you think that I knew that they were imaginary, or do you think that I really on some level thought that they were real? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. You may
3: have known they were imaginary, and yet, I think to your two to three-year-old mind, they seemed very real.
1: Yeah, I guess when you're two and three, right, if there's fairies and Santa and everything, like, why not, right? There, It's all real. Everything's possible.
3: Exactly. You know, I was trying to kind of figure out how it resolved. When you turned four, we moved, but you also started to preschool. And so then you did have, you know, real children that you could talk about and and tell us what you were doing with them and all that kind of thing. But you always enjoyed playing with the the Fisher-Price toys. And of course, that was when they were like the little people, just those little teeny things, not very real looking at all but you know you had the farm and the school and the house and you did a very imaginative play with those and kind of directed your brother and some of his little friends and you would have these scenarios going on and and all this kind of interaction and that to me seemed to be kind of how you played out your imaginary friend thing ah uh-huh. creativity uh-huh. as far as i was concerned but a very creative spirit so
1: did any of your other children have imaginary friends? You
3: know, Dad and I spoke about that last night because I was trying to recall. We we could not think of it. We could not remember that they did. So I you know, yours as soon as you asked me the names, they came to me immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember
1: the others uh, having them. Maybe because there were more Around the house. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, there were other kids around. Well, the craziest thing about it all is that the only things that I remember or know today about Kathy and Susie are the things that you tell me. I have no recollection of this at all, and yet they were, for a time, my dearest friends. Yes.
3: Well, as I say, it was you were quite young, because we, we just figured, say, you know, you were able to speak well, so you were probably like two and a half, but then by the time you got to three and a half to four, they kind of went off into the sunset, I guess you could say. (laughs) Farewell, Kathy and Susie. (laughs) Yes, they moved on to some other little girl's life.
0: (laughs) Something I think a lot about in this, which I think is a very helpful perspective, is I was reading a book about kids with like severe autism and The idea is like maybe a kid with severe autism sits and like spins something all day. Mm -hmm. Like that's all they want to do, all they want to do. And the orientation was always like, we have to stop getting him to spin the thing so that he will come join our world, you know, this exciting world that we have. And so therefore, like take away all the spinning things. And of course, all that resulted in was like an extremely anxious and agitated child. And the metaphor that the person used is like, What if you're sitting in the park reading like uh, Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger, and somebody walks up to you and slaps that book out of your hand and it's like, J.D. Salinger's lame. We're going to go to the movies. And it's like, because you want that person to go to the movies with you. It's like, of course, that's not going to result in a successful interaction. And so that your orientation needs to be accessing that person so that the thing you want to do is sit down next to them for as long as it takes, days at a time, and read Franny and Zoe, another J.D. Salinger book. And that eventually, like, maybe that person looks at you and is like, hey, we're doing the same thing. Maybe there's a connection to be made here. And that eventually the metaphor works to, like, you can then leave and be like, hey, let's go see them. There's a movie that reminds me of these books. Let's go see it together. That, like, that is the path to accessing people. And I think there is something although it's about, you know, very unreachable people, I think of that metaphor constantly in my own life. Like, and I think of it with my imaginative child who like, honestly, if I never talked about The Wishing Stone again, it would be too soon. Like, I don't really want to do it. But and she's a fairly easy to access child. So I don't really need it with her. But my kid who is Marvel obsessed is a little bit harder to access. And so, to sit down with him and have a 45-minute conversation is very very easy if I'm willing to talk about Marvel. And so, but I'm building from there. It's like, can we crawl out of that and talk about, you know, bigger things or other things happening in his day? Yes, we can. So, to start with Marvel, to to join him in his imagination, like that's why that story about your dad is so sweet. Like it's such a bond for him to be like, come on, Amy and I driving around the neighborhood looking for our imaginary friend. Like, it's adorable. It's kind
1: of no different from how we understand now we're supposed to help people with Alzheimer's, right? Which isn't which isn't to say constantly, yes. no, Uncle Joe isn't here. He, You know, it, it's... Your husband is yeah. dead, Marae. Like, oddly, that's not... That doesn't right. work great. The, the, you meet them where they are and you say, oh, okay, I think he'll be back in a little while. That that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you, you meet people where they are. Or, I mean, there's a the famous thing. And now I think it's actually in use, but there,
0: there's a town and of course, like some progressive. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen this. Like somewhere, somewhere where they do everything right online, you know? And it's like for people with memory issues and stuff, because they found that like people would just get up like in the morning and be like, oh my God, I have to get to work. And they're like, yep, there you go. There's your briefcase. And it's just like a cardboard briefcase. It doesn't open. There's nothing in it. But they're like, here's your office. And like, they would just go- literally go mm-hmm. through the motions of going and it's very soothing. And then you can talk, how are you feeling today? Any aches or pains? Like you can access the information you actually need from them. If they are sitting at their office doing their work, like they're going through the motion of what calms them.
1: So Dr. Alter, she's the one who works with the anxious kids who are usually also very, very creative. It's one thing, like your daughter wants to talk about the magic wishing stone and she has no problem. Like it's awesome. And it's also working for her. It's not something that's keeping her awake at night, right? If you have a kid right. Well, yeah, not yet. We'll see how it develops. Not until there's leprechauns in the radiator, then <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so if you have COVID. so if she has a, a kid who comes to her who's somewhat motivated to put some kind of I don't know, some guardrails on their imagination, yeah. which has to come from the kid at some point. She teaches them first that their imagination is a great gift, that they've been, you know, gifted with this incredible flowering thing, but it has to have controls on it. And guess what? Just like you learn to ride a bike and you learn to steer and you learn to brake. And now you're in control of the bike and it takes you where you want to go. You can control your imagination. This is a
0: great, great conversation.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. that, and she gets into it like that. And then, and then of course, there are breathing exercises and, you know, meditation exercises. There's a whole program she takes these kids through. But I really like that metaphor. Like, you can be in charge of this. This would also work for a kid who has temper tantrums, right? Like, you, you can be in control of this thing that feels like it's in control of you. And we're going to teach you how.
0: Right. And I think um, I've done some thinking and, and and looking about stuff like this. And there's something that happens with some kids where it's like, someone's telling me what to do. And that's very scary for parents because they're mm. like, oh my God, like yeah. my kid has a demon. They're, they're possessed or right. whatever. But that it's actually a fairly classic manifestation for kids to be like, someone's telling me what to do. And I had a kid who would say kind of things like that. And it has become like, I can't help it. I'm what he's really trying to say is I feel out of control of this. And so one of the things that we've talked to him about is this metaphor of like, because he's a TV movie guy, when he's anxious, it's like, let's change the channel. Think about a channel changer. Think about a remote control where you're nervous and scared of like, whatever, of course, summer movies, we're in the phase of summer movies where the superhero movies, which like 10-year-olds want to go to, the previews are for like- unbelievably terrifying movies. So like we took him to see some superhero movie and the preview was this like really scary shark movie where like this crazy gray white shark was like eating teenagers and stuff. And he's like, I'm so scared of the shark. And I'm like, you have to change the channel and let's think of four other things you can change the channel to. And it's a really like concrete tool that says when you see the shark, you're going to change the channel to either this, 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 or this.
1: That's great. And then he has he has a menu and he feels like he's in charge.
0: Yeah. And I mean, listen, whenever we give this advice, it's not like, oh, and now he sleeps like a dream every night <laughs> and we never hear another complaint. Right. Like, we do this every night. You know, we revisit it all the time. He freaks out from the beginning. And then I'm like, remember that you can change the channel, blah, blah.
1: And if it's a kid who's really interested in imaginative worlds, then I guess you can place more of them in his or her path. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about how to put the brakes on this and make it less true. But if it's sort of indubitably a good thing for your kid to be imaginative and creative, then there are also ways that we can help our kids be more imaginative. Okay, Should we talk about them. Sure. Sounds like some of our kids kind of got it and some of them need a little boost. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think I need New I don't think I need any boosting around here but okay, I'm willing to talk about it. Open-ended materials, open-ended art materials and things like that to play with, like the more our kids can play with clay and blocks and paper and crayons instead of building the Lego set that can only do one thing and then has to put be put on a shelf and never touched again cuz it'll break.
0: Yeah. And that's a little personality wise. Like I have a kid who's Lego. He's obsessed with Legos, but he wants to build the thing that that looks like that thi- his his the joy that he gets from it is like box of crazy. And I put it together step by step and end up with Hogwarts Castle. Like that's what he likes yeah. out of it. He's not as gifted at open ended, imaginative play. And so we do some playing like that. But I can definitely see that like that's that's not his mindset. But he does get a lot of time outside. Your kids get tons of time outside. Yeah, they get a lot of unstructured time. But all I'm trying to say with this is like, if you have a kid who does not delight in imaginative play, it is going to be very hard for you to
1: make him that kid. Yeah, right. But leaning into the like, oh, fine, here's a screen every time. Oh, no. Like, There's nothing to do is is also the wrong no. thing to do. There is a professor. Her name is Amber Ankowski. And she says... She's a child psychologist. And she says kids need their imaginations most when there is nothing else to do. So that's sort of one of our like top three things. Let kids be bored because if they've never had to use their imaginations, if you're solving every problem for them well that is absolutely
0: true and even people with little kids like nowadays every toy is like it's electronic it beeps it boops it it it, it transforms into a spider and tickles them like <laughs> that sounds like a scary toy <laughs> kids do much <laughs> i guess that i'm sorry i don't know where that came it's your from. Imagination. I'm very imaginative but this is a great tip that is like counterintuitive developmentally, toys that your kid brings all of the imagination to are much, much better than toys that are like, it beeps, it mm-hmm. whirls, it does a dance. Like, let your kids play with things where they have to make stuff themselves.
1: And then fiction, than- of course. Yeah. Like, reading your kids' books, getting your kids to read. It is, the struggle is real, right? I have older kids, and they're supposed to be reading for school this summer. And when they can hold a little palm-sized computer in their hand, why would they read a book? But they do. We're making that's like 10 pages a day. Come on, guys. And it helps fictional worlds. They help develop empathy, like we were saying um, on the episode about empathy. And it certainly helps them create imaginative capacity.
0: And it helps them go places they don't normally go. Like my fifth grader, his school is always working on a fiction book. So they read it out loud together. In class, one chapter, and then you're supposed to read it at home when they get home. It's like they double read it basically. And the books have been kind of intense. Like one was about some Danish people escaping the Holocaust. And one was about a kid who lost her father. And like they're they're kinda heavy. I'm like, whoa, here we go. But it it, it we talked about this with Evangeline Lily. It says to your kid, like, I trust you with this information. You're going to be ready to start handling this stuff. And, like, I'm watching these superhero movies with my kid, and they're pretty darn intense, you know? Like, kids are ready for tough stories and scary stories. It, they need they do. to start processing
2: that they
1: do. stuff. And the fiction is worth it. Like, I feel like my kids are being asked to read these sort of oh serious nonfiction. Like, one of my kids is reading about, like, somebody in a Russian jail. It's a memoir. of Like, I spent 30 years in a Russian jail. Like, really? Like, can, can you just read The Hunger <laughs> Games? Like, it has to Right. It's it's pretty Summer. serious. And uh, I, I
0: guess it's. Right. But when you say the Hunger Games, the Hunger Games is about teenagers murdering
1: each other with arrows. Right. But it's like, oh, my God. I mean, but talk about a microcosm that that author created and creative. And I'm not saying your eight year old should read it, but your 12 year old should. And it's I can't put it down. And, and yeah, and it inspires creativity, I think.
0: Yeah. Something I've been thinking about a lot lately in different contexts, but I think it really goes to this is uh, I was watching Beyonce's Homecoming. <laughs> you didn't think that was going to come up in today's episode. That's not an old Deluxe O'Leary. Oh, my God. It's an, I'm finally not making You're it You're so relaxer. hip. I was watching Beyonce at Coachella, guys, because I'm hip. And then we were watching Project Runway for some reason. And what I took away from it is like, I feel like historically – Homecoming with African-American people, Project Runway primarily uh, with gay people. The idea that like for decades, these people were kind of dismissed and like marginalized and watching the amazing art that comes from people when you're like, okay, go, you know, like nobody's mashing you down and being like, this is not the way you're supposed to be in the world. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to only fit this crazy box. And both projects to me, I looked at them and I was like, these are the expressions of imaginations that historically you kind of haven't been able to see because they weren't welcome in the world. And they both like beautiful, amazing, imaginative fashion and this like unbelievable music and expression of homecoming. It's like, meeting people where they are and seeing the results of like their own expression and imagination is such an amazing gift. And it it made me think of that when we were having this whole conversation.
1: I guess it, if there's a takeaway, it's that it's not our job as the parent to tamp down on it, to, to worry about it and make them fit the crazy box, as you said, that the world is going to do that for that, And then maybe that's a little painful, but that's part of growing up. Um, it takes some real bravery though, because it's
0: easy to say that in a pat way. Sure. But when you have the kid who is, you have a boy who's wearing dresses, you have a kid who is still dressing as Woody when he's nine years old in the school costume parade. You have a kid who is really differently expressing themselves. I mean, I say this all the time, people are always like, my kid's so weird. And I'm like, your kid wears like a Mick Jagger t-shirt. That's you. That's right. not weird.
1: That's imposed upon That's cool. The
0: kid. Yeah. Let's talk about weird. Like weird is the kid who really is like the girl who wears like the hot dog in the princess parade. Like everyone's looking at the parent and being like, what's wrong with your kid? And everyone's looking at the kid and being like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's easy to say like, let it flourish, but We recognize that it it can mean something very uncomfortable for a while.
1: Well, I I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not our job to shut it down because from almost all kids, this sort of imaginative world play stuff. um, And it's different, I think, for kids who are on the spectrum and who have that sort of singularity of interest as a sort of, you know, primary feature of their personality. But for most kids, we're talking about like neurotypical kids, even the kids who are into the world play and the maps and the languages and the, you know, leprechauns and the radiators. That starts to go away as they shift from imaginary interactions to peer interactions. Mm -hmm. And by the time you're a teenager, this stuff is gone. And so is all, you know, you will look back fondly on your kid's imaginary friend, even though it might seem like, "Uh, "Is there something weird about my three-year-old that she won't stop talking about Soren Lawrence. And it does change. It does go away. And... You know, then there's this nostalgia you have for it. But I guess I just mean you don't have to be the one to say you can't wear the hot dog costume. You're weird. It's too you're too old for that. Now, don't worry yes. about that. This. Yeah. Sadly, self-corrects. And that very imaginative kid, it's proof of their creativity that will probably come out in them in some way. And I think your job is to sort of sort of protect it, not from all the consequences of their still wanting to play town when everybody else is talking about, you know, who's dating who. The world takes care of that, though. You don't have to tamp down on it or worry about it.
0: Yeah, you don't really, even for non-neurotypical kids, I think it's like the basic takeaway is like you're really not in control of how this turns out. And so your only job is to meet your kid where they are and then help lead them into connection with other people, but never be like, stop doing that weird thing you're doing and do whatever else everyone else is doing because you'll be happier. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so just let it go and like help them walk with you. We solved it. (laughs) We definitely solved this one, guys. Uh, So we, as always, want to know what is happening. We don't want to know all the details about the magic wishing stone, but we do want to know in general how imagination is playing out in your house. And you can tell us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash What Fresh Hellcast.
1: You could go on Instagram, which is also what Fred Schell cast, and send us pictures of the imaginary friends. That'd be cool. <laughs> Amy, um, <laughs> I have a spoiler for you. There's going to be could no pictures of I the imaginary friends. I could probably see friends. them. Norma Nersher. This was Research A Go-Go. There's, there's so much interesting books and whatever, and I'm going to put it all up on webpressshellpodcast.com, and I'll link to some of it on Twitter, too, at WFH Podcast. That's it for us this week, guys. Go uh, enjoy your magic wishing stones. Go frolic.
0: <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. We want to tell you about a daily newsletter for busy moms that we love. It's called The Pickup Line, and it features short recaps of today's big stories,
1: hard news and lifestyle all in one place. The Pickup Line is timed to land in your inbox right as you shift into park at school or activity pickup time. This happened to me yesterday. I was uh, in, in the parking lot of my daughter's musical theater camp, and there it was, right when I actually had a few minutes to catch up on the world. It even has playlist suggestions
0: and recipe suggestions. This newsletter is so me. It knows what I want to
1: know before I do. That's and amazing. How does it do that? It's very it's very good. It's spooky that way. Subscribe to The Pickup Line by texting Line to 22828 or by visiting thepickupline.net.